welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Jeff Fisher, president of MBK Senior Living. The Irvine, California-based company has 35 communities spread across six states. MBK's goal in the past fiscal year was to recover all of the occupancy it lost during the pandemic. And while the company still has some work left to do, Fisher says they're about 90% of the way there. Now it's back to the grind, so to speak, and we're just really focused on our day-to-day sales efforts, our outreach, really working the database to the fullest extent, and making sure that our sales directors and our executive directors are just really focused and, and zeroed in day in and day out. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. And now, here's my interview with Jeff Fisher, president of MBK Senior Living. Jeff Fisher, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. So I wanted to actually start with sort of an update on your recovery. I think the last time we spoke was at, gosh, it was Argentum, I think, last fall was the last time that you and I had talked, at least in person. So there's been a lot that's happened since then. So where is MBK in terms of its COVID recovery right now? Well, our goal was to hopefully recover everything in a year that we had lost in the prior year. We didn't. We are not quite there yet. And when I say year, our, our, our fiscal year, which starts April 1st, but um, we are about 90% back to where we were with our pre-COVID numbers at this point. That's great. So again, obviously, sounds like you're able to notch some good occupancy gains. You know, the recovery is is, is happening. What's working right now to get residents to move in? I've heard a lot of different strategies that operators are wielding right now, but what's working for MBK? Well, I think up front as we, you know, kind of experienced the highs of some of our occupancy gains, you know, it was just that a lot of that pent up demand that had occurred or, or built up during during the pandemic. And then so we we you know, rode that wave and we're able to recover quite a bit early on. I think now a lot of that has been spent, if you will. And it now it's it's back to the grind, if, if you so to speak. And, and we're just really focused on our day-to-day sales efforts, our outreach, uh, really working the database to the fullest extent and making sure that our sales directors and our executive directors are just really focused and, and zeroed in day in and day out. This is sort of a follow-up to that question, but I'm curious. I heard a lot of operators last year tell me that they thought that seasonal trends had kind of of gone out the window with COVID. And I remember writing a story about this. I've heard lately that operators are sort of baking back in seasonal trends into their forecast for this year and, and beyond. So do you expect kind of a return to... I don't want to say normal seasonality because we're still not in normal, but are, are you anticipating a return to maybe some more normal seasonality in your, in your operations? I think overall, yes. Um, you know, obviously as we, as we've gone through recently, the, you know, variant that came uh, Omicron plus normal flu season. I think again, you'll see some of those normal cycles uh, due to seasonality and, uh, and, it, and it's hit us again where it slowed down a little bit here at the first part of the year. Uh, and I do expect that those things will kind of be kind of normal again, not to use that word too, too, uh, directly. So you, you mentioned a moment ago that you feel like you've worked through, I think you said all of most or all of the pent up demand that you were seeing in your markets. I remember you had said something similar when we talked last fall. So I wanted to check in. So now that you've worked your way through that pent up demand, what demand are you seeing out there? You know, what, what sort of residents are, and their families are, are coming to you now that maybe you've worked through the, the folks that had pressed pause and said, okay, we'll, we'll come in six months or whatever. 
Well, certainly a lot of folks, you know, with, with dementia issues or that have family members with dementia issues, it's a, it's very needs driven and, you know, they just can't take care of them at home any longer. So I think we're seeing some of those types of residents. Um, I think AL residents that just need some care, obviously. And, and again, maybe they, they can do it at home or, or get by, but again, to be in a, in a setting where we can provide those needs and services for them, I think is helpful. And then some IL as well, maybe just a change in lifestyle rather than having to worry about, you know, all the things that they do at home, you know, grocery shopping and taking care of the house and everything else, you know, but again, kind of back to some of those normal things that we saw prior to the pandemic, I think we're experiencing again, and some of those residents making a lifestyle choice versus um, maybe a care need. Do you sense that residents and their families are also less nervous than they were maybe this time last year about senior housing, or I guess when, when, when they come to you, are they coming to you saying, okay, we feel like maybe this is a better time than, you know, a couple of years ago or whatever? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, again, the, the pandemic's been around for over two years now. And, and uh, with the recent variants being a little bit less severe, uh, you know, more, more kind of flu-like symptoms, I think people are a little bit more uh, comfortable moving into the setting. I mean, still, we could we'd have, we, we may have to shut down the dining room or some activities on a short-term basis if there's a couple of cases and we have to do some mass testing, things like that. But for the most part, I think people have gotten into the normal routine and, and are experiencing a little bit more comfort around the fact that we can control the environment and, and control the, the uh, symptoms for the most part. That's, that's good. That's good to hear. Obviously, one of the big challenges, if not the big challenge right now in the industry is staffing. Yeah, I don't think there's an operator out there who's not having at least some trouble with this. So where are you feeling the most pressure on staffing right now? And I guess also, what are you doing to mitigate those pressures? Yeah, I don't think the the overall workforce challenges and pressures are going away anytime soon. Um, maybe just a glimpse that is easing a little bit. We've seen a little bit of an uptick in hiring in the last couple of weeks or so, but we have our challenges everywhere and certain markets are tougher than others. But, um, you know, obviously we're seeing it most heavily with our frontline team members, with caregivers, with servers, with housekeepers, those type positions. Um, no simple solution to it. It's just, again, hard work by our recruitment team to go out and identify candidates, maybe try to, to identify different segments of the workforce, maybe that, that aren't familiar with senior living, to try to educate them and get them in tune with the fact that this is a good career choice. And uh, we're just out there grinding, trying to find candidates. Where, where, where can you look for those workers? I mean, I guess at any industry really can have some crossover with senior living. But I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about maybe hospitality workers might be the, the source of the new senior living workforce. I'm not sure if that panned out, but where, you know, where, where are you looking for workers right now? What industries? Absolutely. I don't think that panned out with the hospitality workers to the degree we had hoped for, but it's still a focus for us. Again, there's there's still a lot of hospitality workers that are displaced, you know, hotels that have shut down and have not reopened restaurants and so forth. So we are still focused on hotels, restaurants, those types of workers. We're also trying to see if we can target, if you will, maybe stay-at-home moms that had to stay home with their kids that were, you know, being schooled at home. Uh, maybe some semi-retirees, you know, with the great resignation, maybe people are retiring from their careers, but are looking for a few hours here and there just to, to supplement and, and give them something to do. So we're just, we're looking at every segment of the workforce possible to try to attract some new workers. Speaking of the so-called great resignation, um, I had an interesting podcast interview last month, actually, with Terry Cunliffe from from Covenant. And she basically said that she was hoping that this great resignation was actually a great sabbatical where workers were 
taking time off and then, you know, sort of maybe coming back to the industry um, after seeing what it was like out there. Are you seeing any evidence of that's happen, happening or are you hopeful maybe that that will happen? You know, I'm still concerned about it in a sense because, you know, I, I still feel like there's a lot of pressure in our industry and, the, you know, the pressure on our team members, you know, our, our department directors and even frontline team members that, the you know, caring for our residents in a difficult setting, you know, the challenging workforce only adds to it and the pressures of, you know, people calling off and, and or just open positions and others having to work a lot of overtime and such. And so it's putting a lot of pressure on our team members. And that concerns me in the sense that we could continue to see that, you know, some burnout and continue to see some people that just say, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to maybe, you know, I'm either going to retire or I'm going to try something different, get into a different environment that might be a little bit uh, easier. So we're, we're really focused on that here at MBK. We're trying to stay in touch and in tune with our team members um, listen to their needs. If they're if they're feeling burned out, can we get them some time off? Can we get them maybe a change of assignment? Anything to try to ease that pressure in the short run, so that we can prolong their um, career with us. One of I think the biggest pressures in staffing right now that I keep hearing over and over again is the amount of overtime and the amount of of agency staffing that folks are having to lean on in in these these times of shortages. I think. You know, if I had to guess, it sounds like it was maybe worse at the height of the Omicron pandemic. I'm assuming with you know staff members and things coming mm-hmm. uh, coming down sick and what have you, and shortages related to that. But I wanted to get your sense. You know, now that we're a, a few months into 2022, are you still? I guess. Well, first off, you know, was was MVK having to rely on that stuff in the first place? But if so, are you still finding that you're having to, you know, you're having those pressures on 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 your workforce, or have has some of that eased up maybe a little? No, like like I think everybody else in the industry, we've had to do the same. We've had tremendously high over overtime. We've had to use a lot of agency hours, which of course you know back in the day was taboo to even say that word, but now it's it's almost commonplace, and we don't take it lightly. We we stay focused on it with our teams that we need to try to eliminate, uh, especially the agency first and foremost, because those aren't our team members. And they're not, they don't have the same vested interest that, that the MBK team has. But even the overtime, again, just to take the pressures off of our workers from that burnout fa- uh, factor again. So uh, we absolutely experience the same as everybody else. Most recently, I would say the last two to three weeks, we've seen a, a little bit of a, an ease in the um, agent. Overtime still high, but I would say we've seen a little bit of an ease on the agency hours. We've been able to reduce that down some. We have some communities that don't have any at all. And we have others that have used it, but they're ex- they're expected to hopefully eliminate it by the end of this current month. So we're seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. We're we're not out of the out of the woods yet, but uh, we're still focused on it and trying to reduce that. I think one of the more unique aspects of of MBK, or at least what I find really unique, is that you guys are actually under the ownership umbrella of a Tokyo-based conglomerate, Mitsui and Co. I know you also follow a culture um, that's rooted in something called. Yoishigoto, which is, I believe, a, a Japanese phrase that roughly translates to doing do, doing good quality work. I, I want to make that a little bit less abstract. I guess, how do you foster that culture in your operations? What does it mean to follow that culture? And can you give me an example of how that works, you know, during your day to day? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, in g- great translation, you know, Yoishigoto does mean um, good quality work. And that is our kind of our mantra. And, you know, our, our focus on culture is a daily thing. We talk about the MBK family and we use the, we use the word family very purposefully to talk, you know, to describe our team members and our family together. We, we want them to feel respected. We want them to feel good about where they work. We want them to feel proud of what they do. 
So again, in addition to the normal things we do, like our annual surveys, we do a lot of pulse checks with our teams just to see how they're, how they're doing. Myself and a lot of my key leaders will make random calls to our communities and talk to our teams and, and just touch base with them, see how they're doing, what are they feeling, is there anything we can do differently to help them to make the day-to-day job easier. We're also focused on doing that, trying to find ways to make the work-life balance better and to find ways to make their jobs and their ta- daily tasks more efficient, if at all possible. And then specifically to Yoisha Goto and the good work, um, we put a lot of emphasis you know, at our home office, as well as each community level team to look at what they can do to support and be productive members of their outside communities. So doing a lot of volunteer work, doing donation projects, doing fundraising, whatever it takes to help their outside communities near them. And which again, makes our residents, our team members feel better. And again, it's not just the team, we get our residents involved as well. So it's a, it's a great um, effort and a lot of camaraderie and just builds that overall culture throughout our entire company. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when we talked last fall, I remember we were talking about growth and you'd shared with me some plans to, I think triple in size in the coming years. I think you had looked at acquisition as, as a way to do that. Obviously, I don't expect you to have tripled in size uh, since we talked, but how are those efforts coming along and uh, where, where are you at with your growth at this juncture in 2022? No, absolutely. Yeah, we haven't we haven't tripled. And that's a like I said back then, it's not a magic number or a magic formula. It's going to be a very long process to, to in essence, get to about 10,000 units. It's just a, it's a long range goal for us. But, you know, since the time we talked, we have taken on three additional communities, two through acquisition and one through a management contract. Uh, we have another uh, offer out on a, a potential other acquisition right now. And we are currently underwriting probably another half dozen of uh, opportunities out there that we're looking at. Not all those are going to pan out, but we are actively looking and searching for uh, acquisition opportunities across, let's say, the, you know, the, the western half of the U.S. from basically Texas to California. That's our primary focus. We would even go further than that if we found some critical mass uh, to where we found a cluster of properties that we could purchase and, and drop a regional team in that area. But uh, we are heavily focused. You know, Like I said earlier, our fiscal year starts April 1st. So we'll be starting a brand new year for us here in a few weeks. And uh, just brings on another set of uh, goals for us to acquire hopefully another four to six properties in the coming year. Great. You know, I, one of the things I'm also curious about in that is as you grow, I think one of the big challenges of growth is keeping your culture intact. You know, you add new buildings and you hire new people or you bring new people on and, and that can, you know, if you don't do it right, dilute your culture. So you have talked with me about the need to focus on keeping, I think what you call your culture keepers Mm -hmm. as you scale up. Um, So I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, as you work on doing that, how do you balance the need to grow, you know, just like any other company with also not growing so quickly that your culture gets, you know, sort of out of line? Sure. Well, you know, again, in November, we took on our first acquisition, which was the first one in, in a year and a half or so. And, and I'll be the first to admit we were a little rusty as we got reengaged in bringing on a new community. And it was a little choppy as we got going with that, with the integration of that community. But but since then, we've we've circled our team up, we've talked through, you know, what's the proper steps, what's needed, you know, day one, you know, week one, month one, as we bring on a new community, make sure that our integration process is very smooth, that we have the right level of support without over 
overdoing it because you can you can um, bombard a new community and new team and overwhelm them with just too much information and too much new stuff all at once. So we're, we're trying to make sure that we have a good cadence to it as we go and that um, that we're there to support, that they know who to call, when to call, uh, or just to call if they have a question or not sure what to do. And, and then we'll work through a very succinct schedule and checklist, if you will, to make sure that we can onboard them appropriately so that we can, in fact, keep that culture strong. We, do, we make sure that we do some upfront meetings with them just prior to the acquisition um, being finalized, so that we make sure we introduce myself and my key leaders, our HR team, just, just key folks that they need to know who they are so that they feel comfortable reaching out. And then as, you know, once the deal closes and we're officially the owners day one, we start the process in a very succinct stream of activities and, and um, duties for, for our team to make sure that that new team feels a part of it. I also I wanted to go back and also ask you about acquisitions. I meant to ask this a moment ago. So I've heard a lot of a lot of senior living companies right now tell me that they're focused on acquisitions. I think it's no secret as to why. You know, with with NOI and occupancy, I think still depressed at a lot of places in the industry. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you know folks have told me that prices still are are agreeable, at least in in some cases. And of course, the cost of construction and development is is still prohibitive. Is that kind of what is informing your your thesis here of of chasing acquisitions, or is this something that you've always done, and and you're sort of just continuing to do now? Yeah, our, our history at MBK has always been acquisition. That's where our growth has come from, and it continues to be our primary driver. We are in beginning stages of talking about potentially doing some co investment um, on development, and maybe ultimately um, again maybe a minority ownership interest and in doing some ground up development to bring on some new communities, but. Uh, but yes, I think materials, uh, not only cost, but uh, the ability to get materials, I think all of that continues to be very challenging, especially on the development side. Pricing on the acquisition side is still a little bit frothy and, and, and hard to find the right opportunities in the right areas. You know, we're, We typically tend to focus our efforts in primary, secondary markets, which a lot of folks do. And so there's a lot of interest when a property comes to market. Um, and so it does tend to drive pricing up. But um, again, we're going to Make sure that we, you know, even though we say we want to grow and, and back to your point, we you know, would like to triple the size of our company in the coming years. Uh, we're not going to do it just for the sake of saying, look at us, we're bigger. Uh, we want to find smart deals, opportunities that are class A uh, product or that we can, you know, put some CapEx into and turn them into class A products. So that's our focus. Uh, we'll, we'll grow as quickly and as, as um or as slowly as, as the deals come. and But we want to do it strategic and we want to do it smart to, to minimize our risk. I also want to talk to you about technology. And in, in that respect, I have seen so many announcements in the past couple of years. In fact, only in the last couple months, I think I've seen so many different robots being launched in senior living communities. It's been very interesting to see, from my perspective, all of the interesting ways people are using technology these days. So I remember when we talked, you had mentioned that MBK kind of sees itself as a maybe an incubator for senior living tech sometimes. So I wanted to actually ask you, how do you achieve that? You know, technology seems very hard in the sense that on the one hand, you need to try new things. On the other hand, you have to be careful with what you try. You can't try every new thing. Absolutely. So how do you determine what's what's worth incubating and what's not, given all the different options? Yeah, I mean, it's um, we're in the same boat as anybody else. I mean, I think all of us realize that this industry tends to be kind of behind the times. We have a lot of manual processes still. We have piloted a handful of a handful of products and different systems over the past couple of years, especially. You know, many of them just ultimately did not pan out or did not give us what we felt were the advantages that they proclaimed they did. And so we we 
you know, we didn't adopt them ultimately, but other, you know, a couple other things we have adopted to try to improve the quality of life of our residents, the engagement with them. And again, we're, we're still looking for ways to try to improve the efficiencies of what our, what our team members do on a day-to-day basis. It's not easy because again, we're a, we're a smaller company. We're not tiny, but we're, you know, we're a mid-sized company at 35 current communities. Um, and so we don't have the time and the resources or the money to go out there and test everything out there. So we're partnering with, you know, other companies like Direct Supply and others that are looking at technologies and finding ways that, you know, we can, you know, learn from what other people have already tested. Did it work? Did it not? Um, if we if we do pilot a new program, we'll, we'll ask for references and we'll talk to the companies that are actually using those programs. We're not looking to be necessarily be the first one to use a new technology. We, we want to find things that we feel are um, solid, that, that do produce the results that, that the company may claim they do and make sure that we aren't just haphazardly throwing too much at our teams. Because again, they're stretched thin as it is. And, you know, they can only do so many new projects or, or, or tackle so many new tasks. So if you throw too much at them, even though you're trying to help or be uh, innovative, it could ultimately cause more pressure and more burnout along the way. So we're trying to balance all that as we go. That's a, that's a really good point. So you mentioned partnerships. I think I got a press release last week or, or recently about uh, MBK working with Moves for Seniors, which mm-hmm. I think is a company that helps older adults downsize and move into senior living communities. Right. So that seems like an interesting partnership right now. Why, why did you decide to do that? I, I guess I assume move-ins are probably trickier in the age of COVID. So maybe that necessitated some extra help, or maybe this was a perk to help residents move in. But tell me more about why why you made that arrangement. Well, I think a few reasons. I think you mentioned them right there. Uh, you know, part of it is I mean, we certainly we allow residents to move in on their own if they if they want to or wish to or use their own com- their own company that they contract with. But to provide a company that we have a, a partnership with that we can that we have good rates negotiated that uh, provides them with uh, folks that are um, accustomed to moving seniors and their belongings, uh, accustomed to helping them downsize. I think that's a big help. Um, it, it could be a benefit that we're, we're offering. Maybe we're offering a free move if they move in by a certain time, things such as that is as an incentive to make the decision and take that pressure off on what am I going to do now that I've signed a residency agreement? What am I going to do to get ready? So, you know, providing a company that again, very custom to helping in this space, I think is very helpful and, and uh, easy, eases the mind of our seniors and their families. Um, and then, you know, for us too, as we, as we have move-ins and we move our model rooms and things like that, sometimes we'll utilize uh, moves for seniors to, to help move those model rooms from one location to another if, if our staff is just too stretched at the moment to do so. So a lot of benefits to it. We're excited about the partnership and looking forward to working with them more. Great. So, um, Jeff, I want to use the last little bit of our time here today to talk about the future. So we, you mentioned uh, your growth plans earlier, which was great. That's that's a question I don't have to ask. But as you look ahead to 2022, you know, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you see this year? Um, you know, what, what are you most worried about? What, what, what are you most excited about? You know, what's, what's on your list? Well, I think the the biggest concern, as we talked about earlier, continues to be the staffing. How do we how do we see our way through these workforce challenges and hopefully, you know, restabilize, if you will, the the, the overall workforce to where we don't have the level of overtime and certainly the level of, of agency usage. Uh, what's exciting to me is again, as things continue to kind of open up again. You know, just helping seniors and and, and their families take that pressure off of them. 
we had our leadership retreat uh, this past September. So it's been a while now, but we had a, a resident family come in and speak to our team and, and speak about her experience at, at our location down near San Diego. And it was just such a heartfelt moment for her because she talked about the fact that I mean, she talked a little bit about her mom and, and how she settled in. But what she spoke mostly about was how much pressure was lifted off of her shoulders so that it enabled her to go from being an adult caregiver and doing the daily task of caring for her mom and, and allowing her to go back to being a daughter again. And it was just such a powerful statement. And that's what we're here for. We're here to, to obviously take care of our seniors, but we're here to take care of their families too and, and ease that pressure so that they can be a family and not be worried about all the what's going to happen. How are we going to make sure mom or dad is cared for? So that's, that's where we get our reward. And that's where you know, the second paycheck is a lot of you know folks refer to it as, and it's important to us. And again, that helps really continue to, to strengthen our culture when we can see moments like that and know that we truly helped folks like that um, ease their burdens. So it's a, it's obviously a tough time to be a senior living operator, but you know, there there's opportunities on the horizon. Um, if you had a magic wand and you could change anything about the senior living industry by waving it, what would you change and why would you change it? I think probably the biggest thing is uh, probably changing the media's perception. You know, a lot of times all they focus on is the negative. You hear one negative in there. Again, mistakes happen. Accidents occur. It's not a perfect world. But there are so many great things that happen within our walls, if you will, within the walls of the industry on an everyday basis that nobody ever pays attention to. All the great stories, like the one I just shared, that that family member felt such relief. And if we could focus more on the positive impact of what we do as an industry, and it's not just MBK, there's so many great companies out there, so many great leaders that I've worked with or, or you know, been colleagues with over the years. It's, it's, it's heartwarming to see the passion of the folks in this industry. And if we could just get rid of the negative connotations, yes, if we have a, if we have an issue, then we deal with it. We make amends and we make sure that we don't make those same mistakes again, but just let's focus more on the positives and, and the good that this industry provides for our seniors. Well, I think those are, those are good words to end it on, Jeff. So thank you so much for coming on Transform. You know, again, this was a great discussion. So Jeff Fisher, again, thank you for coming on Transform today. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. Be sure to visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.